0: Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen and I work for Danfoss Cooling. Thank you for listening in on this chapter 13 in a series about evaporative cooling. Today, today I'll be talking about digital communication that the modern world has become dependent on. I'll simplify quite a lot of the topics and I'll only address the things of interest for the refrigeration business. A digital signal, as I'm sure you know, consists of a lot of zeros and ones that translate into electricity either a negative or positive voltage, or usually minus 5 volts for a zero and plus 5 volts for a one. So, if you receive a negative voltage in the two lines that you are monitoring, it's a zero. And obviously a positive signal will be a one. And the next moment it may very well switch again to zero and then one and so on and so forth. But when exactly does it switch? Imagine that you are receiving a signal of, say, eight ones. How do you know when it's not seven ones and a zero? or? if you don't know when each of the zeros and ones begins and ends. We need a timer or something to beat the rhythm, like the old galley slaves on Roman merchant ships, so that you know when to put the oars in the water, and so on. That's what the clock frequency does. You might have heard about it, if you're working with computers or gaming on computers, that we want a high clock frequency, and maybe you've heard of overclocking, which is basically speeding up the PC above the factory speed. But that's not all. In a computer world, we're working with parallel communication, which is basically a number of parallel lines that at the same time, the same clock has got a set of zeros and ones. So for each clock, you can have a digital value. Depending if it's 8, 16, 32, or 64-bit communication we're talking about, you can have up to 64 bits in a parallel, which is far more data on the same clock as, for for example, 8 bits in parallel. Just to finish the parallel talk, with 64 bits and a clock frequency of maybe 4 GHz, you can really process a lot of data very fast. Well... I'm sure that in a few years, that'll be considered ridiculously slow. Mm -hmm. But in the refrigeration business, we're not working much with parallel communication between controllers. So here we use serial communication. And that's something completely different. In a serial communication, you have only two lines. So to communicate a signal, we need to synchronize the sender and the receiver frequency, so that the sender can tell the receiver that from now on, I'm sending you data. And now I've stopped sending you data. Let's call it data buses. A bus has a front, that's the start bit. Inside you have the passengers, the bits, that is, the data which makes up the cheering crowd, and finally the end, the stop bit. That will of course only work when a sender and a receiver agrees on the structure of the bus, that is, how the data is structured, how long the data stream is, if it's 8-bit data, or if it's 64, or something completely different. So we introduce protocols and bus systems, and trust me, there's a lot. The USB, which stands for Universal Serial Bus, and which you know from computers and devices it's just one of many. In refrigeration business you'll meet quite a few different ones like the RS-232, RS-485, the Modbus, etc. Et et At Danfoss Cooling we're using the following bus systems that's LON, RS-485, Modbus, LonTP. tp 78, and Danboss, oh yeah, and also IP, you know, from the internet, the internet protocol. And while we're at it, I wouldn't be surprised to see a short-range wireless Bluetooth protocol showing up in the landscape sometime in the future. There's not much reason to go into details about the different buses, the difference between them, etc., as long as you're aware of the specific type you're confronted with on site. What is more important is the way that you treat the signals in terms of cables and lines etc. So that's what I'll spend a few words on from now on. You'll need to get familiar with the so-called twisted pair cables where you have two, three or more sets of two wires twisted around each other. We do not recommend single twisted pairs. The signal line will be paired, that is, the twisted wires. You'll see that once you uninsulate the cable. It's important that you keep the pair twisted as far as it's possible towards the terminals on the controller. The reason for the twisting is the the electromagnetic noise I mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts. By twisting the wires, you equalize out the electromagnetic spikes that'll affect the signals, so it is important not to straighten out the twisting as tempting as it may be the cable will most likely be shielded so you also need to keep an eye out for the shield connection on the connection on the controller don't make stubs STUBS but run the cable all the way up to the controller terminals and don't strip the insulation more than absolutely necessary in the control panel it's good practice to run power cables in one tray say above the controllers, and the communication and sensor cables in another, like below the controllers. When you connect a number of controllers, you must daisy chain them, you know, one after each other. Do not branch off in the middle of a daisy chain. Also, as mentioned above, keep the twisting as close to the terminal as possible. Connect the cable shield once to each controller, not twice or more. Just once per controller. Do not connect the shield to earth or common or anything else than the shield connectors on the controller. Remember that the electromagnetic environment can be really messy. We humans just does not sense it keep the communication cables away from power cables, do not run them in the same tray as power lines and remember to terminate the communication line correctly as specified, like with a 120 ohm resistor at both ends of the daisy chain by terminating means that you connect the two wires with a 120 ohm resistor at the far end of each communication line there is much more information on data communication and cabling in one of our design guides so if you google data communication refrigeration it should show up in the list of results the correct name is data communication between adapt cool refrigeration controls but just before closing the theme on data communication, just a f- few words on the electromagnetic environment that I briefly mentioned before. Check the power supply stability that the installation is not too far out in the countryside so that the power supply will be within the tolerances of the controllers. Usually that would be something like plus 10% minus 15% of the nominal supply voltage. Establish a true, valid earthing or grounding, and check if it's good and meets the local requirements. You also need to pay attention to other electric installations, machines and lights in the near vicinity. There's a long list of electromagnetic noise sources to take into account, like Coffee machines, serum machines, laser printers or many of the motors you will see in normal domestic environment like vacuum cleaners, dishwashers and fluorescent lamps. And obviously you will move, if you move out into the industrial environment, things get even worse. So you are more or less surrounded by bad electromagnetics. Whoa. We would greatly appreciate feedbacks and suggestions to future refrigeration topics. Or, if you have specific questions to this episode, please leave a comment on the Chilling with Ends SoundCloud page. I look forward to hearing from you. We would also appreciate if you would click like, share or repost to help us spread the word about Chilling with Jens and evaporative refrigeration. Thank you so much! We will be seeing you soon with the next episode. Until then, stay cool. This podcast was brought to you by Danfoss Cooling. Please feel welcome to visit us at danfoss.com and maybe sign up for one of our cool e-learning classes. Thank you.